Welcome to Down with the Dig. I'm Shella. And I'm Matt. This is a podcast presented by the Ohio Laborers Union to keep you connected to your labor family. This is Down with the Dig. Today we're going to talk about trenching and trenching collapses specifically. Um, What do you know about trenching? Well, I had actually attended an event, a trenching event. One thing that was very powerful about that was they had a couple men that had been buried in one of those cave-ins. And just the after effects of that and the nightmares they would talk about having and the fear of being in the dark or even um, the one construction worker, he said he can't even cover up with a blanket now just because wow. of the, the the fear, the flashbacks of PTSD. Right, right. So I know it's a very dangerous dangerous thing and it needs to be taken serious and sometimes I don't think people realize that um, like we've heard before you can get in and out of that trench a million times and it just takes that next time and it could collapse and then there you go. It can happen very fast. That's right that's right. Well I'll be honest I don't know anything about trenching Uh, so as we do on this show we bring in the experts and today we are joined by Walter Jones he's the director of the occupational safety and health Division of the Labor's Health and Safety Fund of North America. Hi, Walter. Hi, how you doing, guys? Thanks for inviting me. Walter, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, let's see. I've been doing uh, construction health and safety for about 20 years with the laborers. I'm a certified industrial hygienist. Uh, prior to that, I did about five or six years with the Teamsters as an industrial hygienist, basically running around work sites, hanging pumps on folks, trying to determine, you know, the level of gas or dust exposure or heat exposure, and then try to develop uh, mitigating measures at work to help protect people. I have a master's degree from Hunter College. I'm currently the director of the Laborers Health and Safety Fund, uh, Occupational Health and Safety Division, and I've uh, been director, I don't know, about four or five years now. Who do you represent and what does the fund do? My division tries to help signatory contractors and laborers with occupational health and safety issues. So we primarily help them with OSHA compliance. I'm always out inspecting work sites. Lately, because of uh, COVID, we're writing a lot of COVID safety and health programs and plans and policies to help folks get through the last three or four months and probably the next year. Uh, We do a lot of contractor outreach. We do uh, just a lot of help with helping contractors develop uh, health and safe uh, work sites. So we're we're like we work both for our contract, our Lyona contractors, and for the members. You mentioned OSHA. Can you give us a little background about what OSHA is? OSHA was uh, formed in 1970-71, and what they the, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and what they are, they're the government entity that issues federal rules about regulations in the workplace to keep workers safe. So there's a ton and ton of regulations, primarily called 1910 in the regulatory uh, handbook, the CFRs. And OSHA does, they develop a lot of rules since 1971. They've been developing rules to keep workplace safe, like fall protection, trench safety, and on and on. And then they also provide guidelines, they provide training, and they also enforce these rules. And now they enforce these rules by having compliance officers go out to work sites and make sure that, you know, depending on whether you're in construction or maritime or general industry, that you're complying with the regulations. 
So why has OSHA placed a special emphasis on trenching? What we've had is a spike in the number of fatalities occurring on work sites during, uh, uh, for the most part of my career, uh, trenching fatalities were about 12 a year. We've gotten them as low as eight. Looking at the data, because our data is generally lagging about a year and a half, two years. So we, we're just learning what happened in 2018 and 2019 now. We started seeing a doubling in the numbers of uh, fatalities. That doubling of fatalities really shook the uh, regulatory community. And you started seeing an emphasis, whether it's the Utilities Association and others, that we got to redouble our efforts to prevent trench collapses and trench cave-ins and hazards happening. And, and, and so what OSHA did earlier this year was institute a national emphasis program. That's something they've done many, many times. They've done it for lead. They most recently have done it for silica. And they're doing it now with trenching to try to get a, a, a to drive down the numbers. The one thing about when you have a national emphasis program, that compels a compliance officer to investigate all perceived by uh, a violation. So if there's if they're going to work and you're in a trench, they almost by statute have to stop and take a look to make sure that trench is in compliance with the uh, OSHA rules. Whereas before, without a national emphasis program, they wouldn't have to go visit that work site unless there was a complaint, a, a catastrophe, or a pre-programmed uh, scheduled visit. What are some of the things you think that we maybe could do to to help stop that and decrease those numbers of fatalities? A lot of us believe the spike was primarily from the results of the recession of 2008 and then the ramp up in 2010 and 11. And what you had was a lot of work being done in a little bit of space by a lot of inexperienced people trying to get it done really quickly. And that's when you get these spikes. And and what what's important that you try to... Uh, find the spike and address it so that it doesn't get out of hand and that and it doesn't shut down the regular the rest of the work we're trying to get done. So that's probably why they're, they're, they're pushing that way, just so it doesn't get out of hand. And, it, you know, trenching is a really interesting concept because if you look at like a cubic yard of dirt, like you take a yardstick and you make a cube out of it, that generally is going to weigh about 3,000 pounds. Now, uh, that's the weight of a car. And in a trench situation, you're looking at a trench, and a trench is basically defined by having less than, you know, 40-degree sloping. So most of the time you see a trench, it's a 90-degree perpendicular wall, big dig. And what, what happens is, is we have atmospheric pressure pushing down on us at all times but we don't feel it because we're used to it. But when you scoop out a piece of earth, you've created a hole. Now the forces that are pushing down on each side of that dirt is going to force the, uh, the uh, area, to the, the dirt to collapse within there, that area and cause a collapse. So it's almost like putting a ball at the top of a hill. It wants to roll down the hill. So you have to put something in the way to, to stop the ball from rolling. So when you scoop out a trench, you're kind of creating that condition where it already wants to collapse. And all you got to have is, you know, a crack, wetness in the dirt, 
a lot of vibrations, a lot of construction work going on around it. And then you will cause a collapse. And plus, if the dirt is not of a certain, if it's of a certain constituency, if it's a rock dirt or if it's a clay dirt, it's less likely to fall to collapse because it can withstand. It's like putting a, a wall in front of the ball so that it doesn't roll down the hill. But when you got sandy soil, that's where you, you know, or less, less, uh, cohesive soil is what we like to call it. Then you create a condition where this atmospheric pressure is going to push down and make the trench collapse. This collapse generally can happen. We've done timing on this and it basically takes less than a blink of an eye. You're looking at, you know, a four foot trench and regular dirt. You're looking probably at a, uh, 20, 30,000 pounds of uh, Newton force hitting you at one time. So when that weight of the car falls on top of you, it's, it, you know, it's like a fixation. You know, every time you exhale air, the weight of the dirt, you know, is on your chest and it doesn't allow you to inhale. And that's how you generally will die. There are other cases, like if you're buried up to your, your knees, you know, that, you know, you got to be dug out with your hands because if you were to try to pull yourself out, it'll be like sucking, uh, you know, meat off a chicken bone. Um, a lot of times in trench collapses, you almost have to hand dig because you don't know where the person really is. And you can't assume that they're going to be constituted as we are. They may be bent backwards. So you can't just stick a, a backhoe down there and dig them out. Sure. And consequently, during a, a, a trench collapse, what generally happens is I'm working with you, trench collapses. I want to jump in and help you. The trench is already unstable. I jump in to help you. Now we're both buried. I can give you a couple of cases where that's, that's happened as well. Uh, it, so I re- there was a time out in uh, California there in Palm Springs. I was asked to come out to do a uh, contractor that did a, um, uh, a competent person training for all his workers. They wanted me to make sure everybody was doing the right thing. Well, hell, the, fir- the first work site we go to, I show up and there's six people in a trench and I can barely see their heads. And I turn to the BA and I say, hey, man, I don't know. You know, if I take another step, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, you know, maybe shut the, shut the site down. How do you want me to handle this? And he's like, do what you have to do. I walk up. And I remind these guys that you're in a uh, unprotected trench at which the foreman just jumps up and, and with a backhoe benches it and it was all good and fine. The frightening thing about this is when I was art, when I was telling the uh, foreman about this, there was a little kid in the trench. He was, you know, looked at me barely 16. I guess he might've been 18. And so we bought a bunch of pizza and we we're handing out the pizzas and the, the kid pulls me on my shoulder. And when no one's looking, he turns to me and he says, I'm so glad you did that. And I was like, why? He says, because I've been buried twice this week. Oh, um, yeah. You know, yeah, it's frightening thought. You know, it was in Palm Springs, so it's a real sandy dirt. So he was in eating sand kills as well, but he was lucky. And that probably was the impetus for uh, this contractor to do this competent person training as well. But even with the training, if you don't have the culture around Cause they, you know, once I walked up and said, Hey, you guys got to bench this. They did it and went back to work. It wasn't that big of a deal, but they had all had the training and no one was still willing to say anything about it. 
you know, and the boss told me to come out there to check to see how people are doing. And, and you know, so it's a multifactorial uh problem here. Walter, I was also thinking when you were talking about the culture, I think that's a that's a big deal with it. You you get these guys that have worked out there for years and they do. They'll just jump down in there. They've had all the training. They know what's the right process. So they'll they'll just jump down in there because they've done it for years and they, you know, everybody gets complacent. And so then a lot of times I feel like that spills over to the new guys. Well, that's a, that's definitely a problem because our guys are coming out of it, coming from our apprenticeship training and they're trained to get on the work site. They're ready to do it right. And then they have to deal with the reality that nobody wants to hear that mess. So um, that is a problem. You have to develop a culture and we have to create an environment where, you know, it's okay to stop work to do it safely. Again, it the, I think that's where the, the issue really is, is trying to develop because most of our folks are trained and, and know what to do. We often, you know, a lot of these fatalities occur with small contractors without the resources to necessarily have a trench box or a shoring set up, or you're in a situation where you, there's no space to actually do sloping. Um, so, you know, you have to really have a strong culture. You're right. Yeah. And, and not be afraid to speak up. Yeah, well, yeah, what our guys is pretty good because our guys are generally protected to speak up. And if there's a problem, they could actually take it to the, the BA or the steward to handle and get it uh, dealt with. It's a lot of these contractors that, you know, that don't do that are non-union and don't really have any way for an employer employee to express concerns where you see these fatalities really, really occur. But, you know, it happens to be signatory and non-signatory contractors. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hit anybody. Right. You mentioned the, the phrase a couple of times, competent person. What role does that person play and what training does that person get? Competent person is a person who has uh, been authorized by the employer and ha- through experience or training to be able to identify hazards and correct them stop work and correct them. That's the power. And many of OSHA regulations require specific competent persons and entrenching is one of the statutes that require a person, uh, a a trench, say a competent person to determine because technically by OSHA rules, if a trench is deeper than five feet, you got to slope it, shore it, or uh, have put a shield in it. Now, the, the real, the way the rule is written, a competent person has to, deter, for all trenches below five feet, a competent person has to determine whether they're safe. The standard practice in the field is as long as it's not five feet, we're good. But the way the rule is written, a competent person has to decide whether a trench below five feet is good. But that's not really what you see out in the field. So that's one of the roles of a competent person. A competent person also determines the soil type to make sure that, you know, you got the right sloping, making sure that your piles are two feet away from the edges of this. Your spoils are two feet away from the trench. You got a ladder in there within 25 feet that the trench is guarded so that no one can trip into it and on and on. So those are the things that a competent person should be enforcing on a work site in a way that all the employees are doing it. Yeah. And they also have to check, like if there's been a change in weather, if you have rain or something, aren't they supposed to check after that type of weather change also to see if it's still safe to get in the trench? Well, you should be checking 
uh, multiple times throughout the day. So when I, the, the general rule is whenever conditions change and weather is one of them, but like when you come back from lunch is another one. One of my first trips many, many years ago, uh, me and George McAloose were at the uh, Sandia Labs in New Mexico, I believe it was, and huge, huge Air Force Base. And on one side of the Air Force Base, miles and miles away, they were exploding ordinances. And, you know, miles where we were, these guys were in a uh, trench. And, you know, in trenches, you have to determine whether the atmosphere is uh, conducive for work, whether it has the, you know, 19 to 21% oxygen, no, and no, you know, not, not, no carbon monoxide, not and not. So you run, most of the time, you'll drop a sniffer in the air to determine whether it's safe to breathe before you jump into a trench. And you should be checking that, you know, on a regular basis, definitely before every time before you enter a trench. So these guys go on lunch and when they came back from lunch, they dropped the sniffer in there and there was no oxygen in the air. And what had happened is that these unexploded ordinances from on the other side of the base, the gas just migrated through the ground and then hit the trench and decided to come out of the trench, pushing all the oxygen out of the trench and just leaving it filled with gas. So those are, yeah, you should be checking these trenches um, whenever conditions change and weather is one of them. That's crazy. Something that you would never even think about when you're on that job. Right. So there's other things you got to worry about other than just the collapses or the cave-ins. Absolutely. Yeah. The big thing is the cave-ins, uh, as I mentioned, but, uh, in certain, you know, you look at a manhole on a street. Now you create any situations where you got, may have oxygen deficient atmospheres. So you should have a sniffer available. So the, 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 those are the big things. And then even on streets, you always have these trenches and uh, where we're, you know, you cut through, I don't know, six inches a foot worth of asphalt and concrete to get to the dirt. And although the asphalt and concrete is never going to move, the dirt below will. And how you're going to navigate that to prevent a collapse is one thing, especially on the street where you're getting constant vibrations. You know, and one of the things you'll see often is folks dropping those coaxial fans down there just to create an airflow so that you can get oxygen in. So you'll see that like on manholes and on streets when they're cutting into the street to dig a hole. And we see that all the time with telemarketing, especially in our urban environments, at least. Um, the minute they do a street, they got to cut it open to throw some wires in it. Uh, and so we see that a lot. Yeah. But there are a lot of issues associated with trenching. But the main ones are collapsing, and then the secondary one is the oxygen atmospheres, and then third is the hazards of falling into them. I know you've mentioned a little bit on the the ways that trenches can be protected, uh, the three main ways. So can we dig a little bit deeper in that? What what are those three ways, and can you explain those a little bit more? The the main way that most folks try to uh, uh, protect the trench is to make sure you you slope it out, and I believe it's a 40%, 45% slope, depending on the quality of the dirt, as I mentioned. Most of the time, if you have a cohesive clay, you don't need a, as deep of a slope, but if you have a sandy dirt, an easily displaceable dirt, then you need a wider slope. Sure. Uh, and so, but for the most part, we just tell everybody, because there's an A dirt, which is the cohesive Play rock and then sees the, the the stuff that that spreads easily. We tell people to assume every 
all the dirt is C because there are ways of doing it. There's a thumb test and then there's a, 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 a meter that can tell you the hell, the heck with that. Just uh, assume everything is, 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 is class uh, C soil. So it has to be slope and you can either achieve this slope with a regular slope or a benching process that, that's akin to stairs as long as the slope is still I believe it's 45 degrees. I probably shouldn't know that. But uh, and why the, pr the problem with sloping is you got to have space to slope, you know. <laughs> so when you're in urban environments, there's nowhere to slope because your slope, depending on how deep your trench is, could be wider than the actual trenches. You know what I mean? Because you got to slope at such an angle to prevent that collapse from never happening. And then so that takes us to the secondary issue where you'll the secondary way of protection would be shoring and that's where you set up uh, pressurized uh, or levers where you are able to keep the uh, the walls of the trench separated and pressurized so that they don't collapse and then the third way is a trench box and we all and I, I and when I used to do a lot of training I would always say where do you always see a trench box? It's always sitting next to a trench. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not in the trench, next to the trench. That's a, that's a bad thing. Everyone always laughs when I say that because everyone knows that whenever you see a trench box, it's never in the trench. But it's, And when I ask, why is it not in the trench? Oh, we're saving it for OSHA. You're not saving it for the people in the trench. Oh, my gosh. And then they can say, we're getting ready to put it in or we just took it out. So... Yeah, trench boxes are what you, is what we would call shielding, and then the third way, and uh, you know, they again, all of these present problems in terms of doing the work, you know, and that's the problem. Whether your shield provides a lot of limitations to folks doing the work, same, you know, but shoring, like I said, you don't have the space or or to, to, to spread it, and with the shielding and the shoring, it does present limitations to getting the work done. But those are the three primary ways of uh, addressing collapses. What's the, the member's responsibility, the workers there? What can they do if they see something that's not safe? Well, we like to, we like for them to comply with their training and comply with the rules. That's really what we want them to do is comply with the training and comply with the rules. Do not get into an unprotected trench and to report uh, unprotected trenches to their supervisors um, is basically what we want employees to do. Um, and and I, I don't, you know, that's kind of where I'm at on this. It's really up to the safety officers, you know, your, your foreman and your supervisors to really create an environment that makes that possible. Walter, where can they, anybody that wants to get more information, where can they find that? Do you have a website? Uh, yeah, just go to uh, lhsfna.org. Uh, that's the Laborers Health and Safety Fund of North America.org. Just go there, type it into your Google machine, will pop up, or just type Laborers Health and Safety. It, it's not that hard to find us. Um, and through that, you can find our materials. Anybody can email me. I, I don't really care. My email is wjones at lhsfna.org. You can contact me. I'll do it. I used to give out my number, but emails are better. Uh, right. 
just contact me and I'll answer any questions. We'll be sure to put those links, the email address and the website in our show notes for today. And Walter, thank you so much for everything that you're doing, keeping our members safe. Walter, I think you've been a a great wealth of knowledge, and and I think there's a lot more there we could talk about. I uh, certainly invite you back sometime to talk about some other subjects, if you'd be willing. Sure, uh, if you'd have me, sure. Thank you so much today, Walter, for joining us. Please feel free to email us. That's what we're here for. You can send us an email at talk at downwiththedig.com. And remember to share us, like us, download us, and tell your friends. Thanks for joining us and helping us become one of the fastest growing podcasts. Stay safe out there. Well, now you're up to date. Views and comments expressed on this podcast may not be those of Ohio Labor's District Council or LIUNA. Thanks for listening, and let's be careful out there.